Before we get stuck into it, a warning that this is a conference for adults and there is occasionally some strong language. So careful playing it around young ones. This is a Young Farmer Business Program podcast. You're listening to The Business of Farming, a series of talks from the Young Farmer Business Program, brought to you by the New South Wales Department of Primary Industries. I'm Selena Shannon, and this episode was recorded at the 2021 conference in Dubbo. Lynn Sykes isn't from an agricultural background. Her passion is people and communications. And for the last 30 years, she's been helping families to have those tough conversations on a topic that can cause serious problems, succession. It doesn't matter how great a farmer you are and how great your bottom line looks. If you run a chainsaw through it in the family court, basically you're screwed. Lynn talks here about how families can successfully initiate the conversation around succession to avoid the stress the discussion can often bring. Lynn says it's as simple as understanding each other, knowing the family history and good old-fashioned communication. My name's Lynn Sykes, and as Edwina said, uh, the first time I spoke to farmers, I was the youngest person in the room, and I was a bit like that dog that the first presenter showed running around. I didn't really know what I didn't know, so I wasn't nervous. Today, I'm scared shitless. (laughs) The people in the room make up the age group of my children. They're very clear that I know nothing about nothing, so... Um, It's intimidating for me to be here today. However, um, I came to this work by accident. So when I hear about all the motivational things that people are suggesting, I think, well, actually, I landed here by accident. I was working as a relationship counsellor, a young agricultural consultant who was um, part of the RCS network, asked me to, to speak to his clients about communication. I was working as a relationship counsellor and it wasn't too long before I heard myself described as, she's that big Sheila from Dubbo that talks about divorce all the time. (laughs) Because what I learned pretty quickly was it doesn't matter how great a farmer you are and how great your bottom line looks, if you run a chainsaw through it in the family court, basically you're screwed. So it really heightened, I was already working as a counsellor, I was already interested in people, and it certainly made me more interested. But the reason I chose The Gambler was that they said they'd introduce me with rock music. Can you imagine anyone that looks like this coming out to rock music? I didn't think it quite fitted, but what I knew was that some of the saddest things that I've dealt with are people who've held it when they should have run. Or run, maybe, when they should have stayed. So my interest in people has continued in the 30 years that I've been doing this work. It's really important for me to explain that my interest is not in farming. My interest is in families. And so in the succession process, my aim was for the family not only to end up with a sustainable farm, but more importantly to me, a sustainable family. What I see the succession process has done 
to some families, it has created absolute carnage. And that's tragic. And it's costly, if you're thinking through a finance lens. So, um, when I was asked to speak today, once I recovered from the fact that I'd be twice as old as the next oldest person in the room, although I'm glad you're shaking your head because I'm thinking you're not 35. Um, and I was saying to the, one of the clever people at the back of the room, I remember when I was becoming a grandparent for the first time, my 25-year-old son said to me, Mum, can I give you some advice? And I said, sure, what? He said, anything you knew about babies is 25 years out of date. So zip it up. <laughs> and so I've st I now have a lot of grandchildren and I do a lot of zipping up. So the wonderful thing that this work has given me is it's given me a perfect, perfect script for being what I hope is a good mother-in-law because in the 30 years that I've been running family meetings, my God, I've seen some shockers. And I'm pretty clear about all the things that I shouldn't do. And so far, um, I now have six daughters-in-law, which is interesting because I only have five sons. Uh, one's been and gone, and she still can, I still consider her as a daughter-in-law, and she still considers me as a friend, which is fabulous. So I thought that there were two things that I could talk about that might be useful. The first thing is to talk about what I talk about to, to your parents, probably. I would be certainly closer to their age than I am to yours. And so the things that when I rock up, which I don't do any, very often anymore, rock up to a seminar to talk about succession. The second thing I thought about is some of the things that I've learned as I've spent time with them that I think might help you negotiate with them. And I was interested that someone said they wanted to learn with grumpy, about dealing with grumpy old men. I consider grumpy old men are my specialty. <laughs> the grumpy old man that says at the beginning of a family meeting, well, I'll think about it when I'm old. Well, you're 85. <laughs> That's old. No, no, I'm thinking about buying the place next door, he'll say. So, so I want to talk with you about what I think are the things that will influence succession. My role when I run family meetings, of which I've done quite a lot now, and which I've stopped doing for a reason that I may talk about later, um, is for the family to get to a point that they all agree on. So if you were thinking of asking me some, some legal questions or some accounting questions, not my bag. My theory about the, help, the most helpful way, I believe, to do succession is for the family to work out where they want to go, for that information to go to their accountant and their lawyer, for them to tell them what's the most efficient and effective way of getting where it is that the family have agreed they want to go. So. What have I learned? I've learned that I wrote notes to come today. I haven't written notes for probably 20 years. That's how intimidated I was about coming. How do you reckon I go when I rock up? There's no lectern <laughs> for me to put my notes on. All the crucial things I wanted to tell you are in a pad in my handbag at the back. So let's get going. 
The first of the influencing factors, and I believe the biggest influencing factor in the succession process, is the family history. So I would be encouraging, if you don't know much about your family history, find out. Find out what the, were the belief systems, if you're in a family business, and if you're not in a family business, find out the belief systems that the families of the people that you're dealing with have come from. If you happen to be in a business that your parents own, there's two of them, generally. It's important that you have an understanding of both of those family histories. Because when I sit round a table with a family, I know that behind every one of those people, there's another whole family sitting in their head, influencing what they're thinking, what they're saying, and what they're hoping for. So really important to have a good handle on your own family history. And I know that many younger generations don't because when I start a family meeting and I draw up the family tree and I start talking about how this family came to be where they are, a lot of it is new information for people in the room. So get a grip on your own family history. Particularly, I mean, I was interesting listening to Sam saying that he's a first-generation farmer. It will be, it's interesting that if you're a multi-generational farmer, then it's really important to understand what the family have endured to be where they are. The sorts of things that the first speaker spoke about. People doing it really tough. I walk, I walk with an ex-farmer each morning and one of the things that she constantly refers to is how broke they were when they were putting their kids through school. The second thing that will influence your family and your business is communication. The, the greatest gift that succession can have is first of all a good family history of succession and the second thing is that the couple, if it's a mum and dad show, that they are actually on the same page. Because I would say probably 70% of the family meetings that I ran, the mum and the dad, the two older generation people, were in fact not on the same page and in fact wanted different things out of the succession planning process. Communication between the generations. One of the things I remember clearly really in the early days, I was speaking at something somewhere towards the coast I think, and I could, there was a conversation happening behind me and I heard these two men speaking who were father and son, I worked out later, and I, I think I, one of my boys was 18 then, and I thought, oh my God, he sounds just like the child that it was. I'm not allowed to mention my children's name in the local area. Um, when I turned to look at these two men, they were 60 and 80. But one of them sounded as though he was 18. The communication between the generations in that business had never moved from a parent-child to an adult to adult. So I would be encouraging you, if you think you're, you're, if you're in business with your parents and they treat you like a child, think about do you act in a way that encourages them to continue to believe that. As a pair, I can remember saying to someone recently, I've noticed that I've got, as I've got older, my children treat me so differently. 
And as soon as I said it, I thought, I wonder do I treat them differently? And we were camping for the weekend with most of the family out at Ningen, and my 35-year-old son, we were all about to go for a walk, and I looked down and he had no shoes on. I was a whisper away from saying to him, you better put some shoes on. <laughs> He's 35 years old. He has two children. He probably can work out if he needs to put on a pair of shoes. And I was horrified to think how many times I've acted like a parent to my adult children and then been offended when they rip it up me. So you can only change one half of the equation and I would encourage you to think about your half. The next level of communication that we want to talk about is new family members. It's always interesting to talk about the person who has come into the family. The, the wife, the husband, the daughter-in-law, the son-in-law. How they were treated when they originally came into the family. It's a freaking nightmare, mostly. I couldn't believe it when I first heard an older woman talking about the way her daughter-in-law pegged her washing on the line. Now, just in case you're not aware, pegging washing on the line is an absolute science. You've got to, a, you've got to peg it out there for starts. My God, if you put it in the dryer, what a dreadful daughter-in-law you will be. You've got to hang your, large, your smalls, or in my case, your larges, on the inside of the line. You have to match the pegs. You have to line up the colours. And my God, you don't leave it out there overnight. All these things, I said, I had no idea that washing was such a science. You know, you hear people talking about carbon credits, got nothing on how you peg your washing on the line. <laughs> Most of us do not like to be criticised. I remember being at a, at a workshop in Tommingley once, and I was about 20 years younger then, and someone asked me about daughters-in-law. And I, at that point, didn't have any daughters-in-law, so I said, oh, can't really, don't have any experience. And there was an older woman standing beside me. And she said to the young woman, my dear, the secret is you need to look for the things you like. She said, you won't have to look for the things you don't like. They'll be glaringly obvious. <laughs> and I think, so that's true. Whoever you're dealing with, you, you won't have to look for the things about them that drive you nuts especially the grumpy old men. The key is to look for the things that you do like and try and focus on those. The third thing is the generation. What I've learned as I've moved through the generations, I hope I'm not the gambler that's, um, that's going to be his last, his last ace that he offers that young man on the train. Um, and I hope that out of today you can at least find one ace like the guy did in the train from The Gambler. But it, what I've learned is that every generation knows everything. You think your parents know everything. They think you know everything. We say, look at these young ones. They don't know what they're doing today. And you say, look at these old farts. They won't look at change. Blah, blah. Every generation has their belief system. And it's worthwhile whatever generation you are part of, to know about the one above you and to know about the one below you. Because what brings change is understanding.
I'm not a fan of Stephen Covey. However, in his seven habits, the first thing he says is seek first to understand. So if someone in your family is behaving in a way that you don't understand, then have a crack at trying to understand it. Have a crack at communicating with them about them so you get a better understanding. The last thing that will influence how people behave is their self-esteem. If in the succession process there is someone whose self-esteem is completely tied up with what they do for a living, succession will be traumatic for them because they don't have anything else in their life. And I've heard two of the speakers this morning talk about how hard you work and how many days you work and how tough it is. They're the indicators that perhaps you're too much of your self-esteem is invested in what you do for a living and not enough is invested in who you are as a person. Because the, the good self-esteem that you have about yourself will take you to wherever you are in your life. If your self-esteem is tied up with what you do for a living, then you're stuffed if you're not doing that anymore. Says someone who started to retire at 50 and in December I'll be 70. Not a great role model. Okay, it's a fabulous book on the market, which if I had my lectern, I would have held up and said, if you invest in anything as a result of spending some time with me today, I suggest it's this book called Crucial Conversations. In that book, it defines a crucial conversation has three key elements. The first is there's emotion involved. The second is opinions will differ. And the third is that the stakes are high. There is no higher stake, in my opinion, than communicating with your family. And that's one of the reasons that succession is so tough. Because it is with the people who you have the highest stakes at damaging those relationships. I read this book on a, on a flight back from Adelaide early Oh, I don't know, 15 or so years ago. And I got to this chapter and I thought, oh my God, this is succession. And then I thought about it and I thought, it's actually every conversation that you have with people who are really important to you. Okay, when I'm doing a family meeting, this is how I represent the family. We call this a genogram. This is a nice, small family. The first thing I learned when I started to work with farmers, having been a midwife, was that they have this relationship with the farm, which is also very interesting because they're often quite racist and don't believe that Indigenous people have a relationship with the land. I find that's a bit of an interesting little dilemma. However, they have this thing called a relationship with the farm. Now in this family, there are three children, boy, girl, boy. The older boy has married and has two children. The younger boy is married and has no partner. The girl in the middle is not. Small family. By the time everyone in this, genera in this genogram has a relationship with their farm and a relationship with each other, there are 81 different relationships that are going to need to be managed in the succession process. It's a lot of relationships. And if you have no one in your family 
who has skills at managing relationship, it's going to be a tough gig and it's likely that damage will be caused. So, that's, that's the old stuff. That's the stuff that I've talked to old people about. This is, these are the facts that I think, probably opinions more than facts, these are the things that I think will help if you're embarking on a succession process. The first is to know what your expectations are and to know what their expectations are. I was delighted um, yesterday when speaking to my younger son who's about to start a new job and he was going up to have some time with the CEO of the organisation and he said really the most important thing I need to find out is what are his immediate expectations of me. I thought he might actually have even heard that from me. <laughs> Be clear about what your expectations are. The tricky thing about expectations is that there are three levels of expectations. We all have expectations that we're aware of and that we've communicated. So if I'm running a workshop in the beginning, I always say to people, what do you want out of the day? You've given up a day to come here, what do you need to make it worthwhile? They have a chance to tell me what their expectations are. The second level of expectations are expectations that I know I've got but I don't tell you. For whatever reason, I don't tell you. And particularly in families, because the stakes are so high, I mightn't tell you. Potentially, we're going to get into difficulty about expectations that we have and we haven't communicated. The third level of expectations are expectations that I've got, but I don't even know I've got them. How I discover that I have them is when they're not met. Classically, in succession, in family meetings, the things that I hear people bickering about before they even get to the succession process, the first is time. Every day I'm down there to start at seven o'clock, he's not even out of bed. Bloody no smoke coming out of the chimney over there at seven o'clock. There was an expectation that we would start our day at seven but it's rarely been communicated. So the likelihood of getting it wrong is really high. The next is expectations about money. When someone comes to work at a, in a family business, you need to be clear about what are your expectations in relation to time, both as an employer and as an employee. You need to be clear about what your expectations are about money. Because one of the most difficult things that I've sat with families trying to struggle with is people who've worked in family businesses for long periods of time on low wages. And they want recognition for that. They want recognition from their parents and they want recognition from their siblings. What I hear their siblings say are things like, well, if you wanted to work for that, that's your call. I could have worked for my bus for nothing. He'd have been happy. You've made that choice. So getting clear about expectations around money is a really important thing. And if the business is in a situation where what you are worth is beyond the reach of the business, then you and the business need to work out how that will be acknowledged. 
so that when you do get to the point of succession, you have already developed some sort of equity. The third thing is housing. One of the things about doing lots of family meetings is you hear all the classic arguments over and over and over. You know, I've done it tough here, I've been on the farm, you're in the city, you could do whatever you like, da da da. Yeah, but you haven't paid any rent, you haven't paid for your own electricity, you haven't paid for fuel, you haven't even bought your vehicle, you haven't had to buy meat. I did a family meeting once in South Australia with three brothers. It was a huge business. I need to let you know that when I started doing this work, I didn't know where, this, where the comma or the dot went in a million. I had no idea about money and even how to write it on the board. This business was huge, huge. There were several arms to the business. They spent the day, they worked through it. They did a really great job. We got to the end of the day, I could almost feel that first drink slipping down my throat. One of them looked up and he said, he hasn't paid for meat. I'm thinking, mate, we've looked at millions and millions of dollars have been allocated in land, in equipment, in stock. And he hasn't paid for meat. However, I have a belief that anything that anyone raises in a family meeting, if they bring it up, it's important enough to deal with. So what did we do? We worked out what the average amount of meat would have cost over a 25 year period, calculated it out, and added, took it off his bottom line. So it's often not the big things that will stall this process. It's, it's often really small things that someone in the family is envious of. I remember my youngest child saying something to the older ones about, or something about living at home, and the older one said, you don't know how bloody lucky you are, mate. You've got it so easy. You've been raised on steak. We grew up on mince. So things that really blew my mind. I thought they wouldn't have even noticed what they were eating. So be clear about your expectations and try and draw out the expectations from your employer, whoever that is. Okay, this is one of the things, there's a little red booklet that a colleague and I wrote quite a few years ago, which I'd quite like to be revamped if there's someone entrepreneurial out there. And it's got a thing, there's a quiz in it, and I think um, the Young Farmer Business Program has some of these booklets on their stand. It's a little red booklet with dogs on it. It's got a thing in it called the DISC profile, which you may well have done. But it puts people into four categories. The top left is a group that are task-focused and introverted. Means that they think things out, they don't talk things out. The other top box are task-focused and extroverted. So they focus on the task, but they talk things out. The bottom left are people-focused people, but are still introverted, that think things through rather than talk things through. Bottom right, people-focused and extroverted. Now, one of the things that I've observed is that different industries attract, seem to attract different people. And one of my regrets um, listening to Sam was that I've never collected data 
about the hundreds and hundreds of people I've actually done this disc with. with. But if you are dealing with succession and you're finding it difficult to communicate, it may well be that the people you are dealing with have a very different behavioural profile to you. So if you happen to be in the people-focused extroverted column and you're trying to talk with someone who's in the task-focused introverted column, it's like you're speaking another language. If you're task-focused, you will be thinking a lot more about how you farm. If you're people-focused, you will be thinking about who you farm with. Now, what I observe in couples, older couples in particular, is there's usually one very task-focused person and one people-focused person. Without being gender-biased, it's usually the mum that just wants everyone to be happy. It's often the dad that just wants the business to carry on to another generation. That might sound sexist, and it probably is. Okay, if you're a generation that wants to get involved in a business, early in the piece I was told that there are only two points at which you have power in a negotiation. And it's on the way in, when you're holding the cards, when the business needs more labour, when for some reason the business wants you, or when you're on the way out. Anyone who knows anyone that's been through a divorce will know that you've only got power on two points, the way in and the way out. My suggestion is that you do the negotiating on the way in, not on the way out. Um, I have a friend um, called Gabriel Chan who's written the book called Rusted On, which you may or may not have read, and she's about... she's. <laughs> She's writing another book under the, I think, the writing title of Who Gives a Fuck About Farmers? No, Why You Should Give a Fuck About Farmers. <laughs> and uh, one of the things she says to politicians, and I thought it was equally apt to succession, if you attack another generation, she said another, another um, party, without offering either engagement or alternative, it's a good way to blow up your electoral campaign or your succession com campaign. And then what you'll have is a train wreck. So, when I look back on however long I've been doing this work, now, I'm not sure whether I've spoken for 15 minutes or I've got 15 minutes to go or I'm in my question time. We're in a question time, that's good because I'm finished. Um, <laughs> Recently, I was asked to speak at a conference, and you know it really is time to retire when someone says, we'd like you to give a talk on reflecting on your career in succession. <laughs> I think, so maybe for those of you who've got a cranky old man that won't leave, the good question would be, could you give us a reflection on your years in agriculture? And there was only one thing that stood out, and that was starting with a functional family. If your family is not functional, succession will be really difficult. And my advice is, if you're part of a non-functional family and you want to be in, and you want the succession process, then jump into it, get it over with as quickly as you can, 
so that relationships have time to heal. However, in having a functional family, there are two things that really are crucial. The first of those is mutual respect, having respect for other people, having respect for other people's opinions, and the last is communication. It really frustrated me when I first came to work in agriculture, people would say they just need to communicate. Well, if it was that easy, we would already be just communicating. One of the stories that I want to finish with is that in 1919, I was asked to speak at a few things. <laughs> they, no, not 1919, I was dead. <laughs> 19, 2019, sorry. Really is time, really is time I wasn't here. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, some drought days for women. And they asked me to, i have been around for a few droughts by then, what was the reflection? And I said, one of the sad things for me is that after every drought, when it rains, women leave their marriages or their long-term relationships. And I said, I'm really hoping that for those of you who think there is some foundation for you to build on, to give it a good hard crack before you go. On all of those days, somewhere between three and five women came up to me and said, I was stunned when you said women leave once it rains because I'm on my way out. I thought I had been hearing that for 30 years. And what that tells me is that for all of us, we have continued to focus on how we farm and not who we farm with. Thanks very much. Edwina Bartholomew of Sunrise fame is the conference host. So she now joins Lynn Sykes on stage. The young farmers are asking questions through an app about their burning succession issues. Such an interesting discussion and, and I know that one that's just so pertinent to so many in the room. What do you do if you have a dysfunctional family? How do you start that conversation in the first place? I think it, it's tricky, obviously. What I'm hoping is that these young people are going to build functional families. But if they've, if they've grown up in a non-functional family, A, the power of family history and role models is enormous. I really think if you're trying to do succession and your family's not functional, the quicker you can get it initiated, the better. So how do you start that conversation? We had a great question from uh, someone who shall remain nameless saying he's got a cranky old man in his family. Obviously, yeah. he's working out whether to hold him or fold him, stay yeah. or move. No, he's not. How do you start He's that? planning to hold him. Mm. That's, that's what the makes him cranky. Is, yeah. but, but how do you start the conversation well, with that person? It's, it's very challenging and I clearly remember you'd know when you're getting to a cranky old man in a family meeting because I always spoke to the oldest people last. I always asked them what they were hoping for out of the meeting after I'd asked everyone else. And I'd say to them, so you want to tell me what you're hoping for out of today? Well, it wasn't my idea. It was the standard response. I must have heard that thousands of times. My response was, I'll bet it wasn't your idea. The family dog goes, <laughs> my God, she's put him offside already. Um, and that was often true. I, I think you just have to be courageous. 
And I was with a colleague once and I was being interviewed by someone asking me about succession. And my colleague interrupted me and said to the, thing, to the interviewer, the two qualities that Lynn has that have made her do okay at this job is that she's generous and she's courageous. And I think if you want to start the conversation, you need to bottle up your courage and start it. Sometimes you need to leave in order for something to happen. One of the things that saddens me is people who say they're going to leave and then stay mm. because that puts them in an even less powerful negotiating position. So I think in most families, there is someone who everyone communicates with. When I run a family meeting, one of the things I ask is, who is it here that everyone talks to? And it's usually an off-farm person, um, be because they're not so close and everyone confides in them. Often, they're a great advocate. But one of the things that has frustrated me, and I mean, maybe I, maybe I am sounding like an old woman, and I guess that's because I am, but I find it incredibly frustrating that women who want, are often the ones who want the change do not have the courage to initiate the change. You know, mostly they're talking about land, and I'll say to her, well, how's the land held? Oh, well, in both our names. I say, well, get rid of your half. If he won't do anything, show that you are serious by acting rather than talking. And I, and I think that's all you can do. But the crucial thing is not to stay too long before you feel trapped that you don't have any other options. And that is one of the reasons I chose that song, other than the fact that I didn't want to toddle out here to rock music, is that it's tragic when someone stays too long mm. without actually initiating any change. We'll try and rip through as many of these as we can. How do you act and communicate when you are the new family member, when, you, when you're the daughter-in-law who's already had the argument over hanging out the washing? Yep. How do you start this next conversation? Well, when they call me, those daughters-in-law, I say, look, mate, you might as well start the conversation. They've already decided you're the problem, so you might as well be the problem. Just get on with it. <laughs> Fair enough. I said, and if it works well, no one will remember that you initiated it. And if it's a disaster, it'll be all your fault, but Which it's all your anyway. fault anyway. <laughs> yeah, so you might as well give it a go. It's interesting that what I have observed is that daughters-in-law get a much harder time than sons-in-law. Mm -hmm. mm. Men seem to be much more respectful to their sons-in-law than they are to their daughters-in-law. And, and certainly older women seem to be nicer to their sons-in-law. And I need to disclose, I only have sons, so... Um, I haven't had any experience, really, as a mother-in-law of We've men. got your daughter-in-law here today, actually. Yeah. No, no, we don't, <laughs> yeah. we don't have that. Um, what tips do you have on that note for addressing gender equality in terms of succession planning? Yeah. It's interesting, given all the stuff that's been happening in the media about you 2 and what's been happening in Parliament. And certainly, when I started working in succession, the gender equality absolutely blew me away. I came from a working-class background. I didn't realise that people were treated so differently. And in the beginning, many women um, daughters in farming families accepted that they would get nothing out of what was a very um, large asset base. But over the years, I've seen that change. Mm. I must say, the thing that I do still see 
is if the whole family want the family business, the farm to stay in the family, they are generally very generous with what they forego, but they don't forego everything like they did 30 years ago. What about for people who don't want to take over the family farm? They might, like Sam, want to move elsewhere. I imagine yep. that's a difficult conversation to have as well. Yeah, I, I think that the people who've put their blood, sweat and tears into a certain piece of land believe, uh, you may be surprised about this, but there are thousands of families that have the best cattle in Australia and thousands of farms that have the best land in Australia. I hear that wherever I go. So it's difficult for people to think there should be somewhere better. But one of the questions, I think, the value of having someone outside involved in that conversation is they ask those questions. Is there somewhere you'd rather farm? Mm. And if you, if you get asked the question directly by someone who's not a parent, it's generally easier to answer. And that probably answers this question. So how do you approach your parents to start the succession without a blow up and falling out? Is it bringing in a third party at, from the get-go to begin those tough conversations? Yeah, I mean, obviously I had a career doing that, um, so I would say yes. However, having trained a lot of people to facilitate family meetings in the way that I do, not many of them have taken up the challenge. Um, it's difficult, but you know, the sooner the blow-up happens, the smaller it's going to be. Mm. Um, the, the one thing that's clear to me is that resentment, whichever way it's being directed, is cumulative. You know, and sometimes I'll find in family meetings, people will talk about an incident, maybe it wasn't 1919, but it might have been 1960 that mm. something happened and they're still carrying a grudge about that. What was the question again? It was about how do you avoid that, that blow up. Right, yeah. I don't know that you always can. Yeah. But I think if you have someone there who's accustomed to dealing with blow ups, mm. it, it, it doesn't become a volcano. You know, they just, people tend to behave better when they're in a room with someone who's mm. not family. They're much less likely. Family patterns of communication are often very entrenched and if, if there's not someone there from the outside to either stop that happening or to hold up a mirror and say, guys, this is what you're doing. You know, how do you like the look of this? Well, it doesn't look that good often. So You mentioned those smaller issues like, like adding up the meat over 25 yeah. years. Is it important to keep the conversation to set meetings so it doesn't kind of, you know, <laughs> bleed over into the day-to-day -day of running that property? I think one of the, and we've actually, I've actually heard it Which already to today. Which is harder to do than it Yeah, like. well, the ta for people who are very task focused, they will, and I've been told, I can't remember how many times over the years, we don't have time to meet. We're too busy. Mm. We don't have time to meet. I just say, I don't think you have time not to meet. Mm. Um, because it gives you an opportunity regularly, both operational, operationally and long-term to talk about what you want to have happen. So issues are much less likely to grow. They're much more likely to, to deal with things when they're small. This feels like a really good question to end on. How would you help someone whose identity in life is the farm? Perhaps they took it over from their parents. Yeah. How do yeah. you help them find purpose beyond when, when they've passed the farm on? I think accept the reality that they're not going to. You know, I've had so many old blokes say to me, I'm going to play golf when I retire. Every day, I say? They say, yeah, every day. How often do you play golf now? Oh, well, I haven't played for 30 years. They're not going to play golf. They're not going to play golf every year. 
you need to come up with a, a process where they go from being in control to actually being around and being the gopher. Mm. You know, that they can... St there are two things that older people really are really concerned about in terms of succession. The first is security of income. When I started this work, people were happy on the age pension. That's not the case anymore. So they need to know that they're secure, that their income is secure. And I would suggest not dependent on their children. The second thing is security of tenure. People don't like moving. Mm. And if there's a way that they can stay and continue, and continue to point out all the things that the next generation are doing wrong, that will help them live a bit longer. Um, as someone said earlier, you can't count on old people to die anymore. They just keep living on and on and on. Um, but they don't do... I mean, we've had farmers move into town next to us. They make frightful neighbours. <laughs> you know, I kept thinking, mate, you should have stayed on the farm. You know, you bring your cattle dog and your half a tank and a big chain, so all night you're hearing clang, clang, <laughs> clang, clang. The kids' balls go over the fence and they get upset. Many and mostly they're driving back out to the farm to check that everything is going well. The difficulty is that often there's one person that wants to be on the farm and one person that wants to be somewhere else. Going back to the question about if you were coming into a family, had I had daughters, the advice I would have given them was to remain financially independent. That would be the advice and the advice that I give my daughters-in-law. And I think that one of the great things that's come out of COVID is that a whole lot of women are working more effectively from farms. Wonderful. Well, Lynn, thank you so much for sharing your expertise. I bet you're a really good mother-in-law and very good at succession planning. That was Lynn Sykes speaking at the 2021 Young Farmer Business Program Conference in Dubbo. Want to know more about what it takes to create a successful primary production business? Check out the rest of our talks on The Business of Farming. Find it in your podcast app or online. In our next episode, Sam Trefui explains how he set up a beef business where he doesn't own any cows and how it's all part of his passion for regenerative farming. I believe that Australians deserve to have a uh, good eating, well-priced, premium beef product that's single source and, and fully trans transparent all the way through.